order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Ms. Sally Keeble. Uh, question number one, Mr. Deputy Speaker. Mr. Deputy Speaker, sir, this morning I have meetings with ministerial colleagues and others in addition to my duties in the House. I will have further such meetings later today. Ms. Sally Keeble. Uh, thank you. Will my right honourable friend come to Northampton to open the new £5 million Police Call Centre funded by this Labour Government and to listen and to listen and to listen to the complaints from my constituents who will not be getting their new community police support officers because the funds for them have been cut by the Conservative-controlled Northamptonshire County Council. Is this compassionate conservatism or same old Tories, same old cuts? Well, I, I'm delighted to say to my honourable friend that, yes, we, we have supported the new Northamptonshire Police Call Centre, and as she says, it's a £5 million state-of-the-art facility that will bring better services to the people in her area and others. And it's in addition to extra numbers of police, extra numbers of community support officers, and that's why it's important that we keep up the investment under Labour, not cut it under the Conservatives. David Cameron. Thank you, Mr Deputy Speaker. Everyone in the House will be deeply concerned by what happened yesterday in the Palestinian territories. We understand the extremely difficult situation under which the British monitors were operating at the prison in Jericho. But is the Prime Minister satisfied that the consequences of withdrawing the monitors were properly thought through? Yes, I am satisfied about that. And what's more, this gives me uh, the opportunity just to explain to the House and indeed to the country, that for the past three months we have been warning the Palestinian Authority that the security of these monitors was at risk, that the procedures at the particular detention centre were not adequate and proper, and that culminated last week on the 8th of March with both the US and UK Consuls General jointly writing to President Abbas, making it clear that unless the Palestinian Authority met its obligations, we would have to terminate involvement with the mission with immediate effect. So the fact is, for months we have been warning about this. And let me just emphasize something to the House. These monitors are unarmed civilians whose role is not actually to do the policing and to make sure that people are properly imprisoned, but simply to monitor that the procedures agreed were being implemented. In actual fact, for a very long time, they have been saying the procedures are not being properly implemented. So the idea that this was either precipitate or uncalled for or unthought through is simply wrong. Mr David Cameron. I'm grateful for that answer. People also would have been concerned by the attacks on the British Council in the Gaza Strip. Can the Prime Minister tell us what steps he's taking today to protect British citizens, buildings and organisations that have been working so hard to help the Palestinian people? And can the, can the Prime Minister tell us whether they were given any advance warning to take extra security precautions yesterday? On that very last point, um, I'm not sure of the precise precautions they were told to take, but I do know this is something that had been discussed widely and extensively with people, precisely because we were concerned about the situation that might arise. Perhaps I could make one other point as well. This country has been immensely generous in the help that it has given to people within the Palestinian Authority area. We will continue to do everything we can to support the Palestinian people, but there is one issue that, that has to be addressed by the Palestinian Authority, and that is security on the Palestinian side. And if people want progress towards a two-state solution, which we have 
championed in this country an independent viable Palestinian state living side by side with Israel, then the security within the Palestinian area is of prime concern. Now, we have done everything we can to support them, but we need some help back from the other side. And incidentally, one other thing I should mention is that another reason for our concern was the recent statement um, from Hamas um, following the elections in the Palestinian Authority that they intended to release the particular people in this detention centre. And therefore, I hope people understand that we could not continue with the situation where wholly unarmed people were put at risk. David Cameron. I'm grateful for that answer, specifically on the issue of Hamas and on their election victory and, and on the effect on the funding of the Palestinian Authority. Don't the events of the last 24 hours actually reinforce the need to ensure that Hamas abides by the conditions set down by the international community, recognize Israel, abandon violence, and abide by all of the previous agreements between the Palestinian Authority and Israel, one of which actually concerned the running of the Jericho prison itself? Uh, of course. It's the case that, that in addition to the bilateral assistance, which uh, in this financial year amounts to some £36 million, we've also, of course, supported the €120 million Euro package from the European Union. So we are giving every support of a humanitarian kind um, to the Palestinian Authority. And yes, of course, it, it, the only way we are ever going to get uh, a peace process beginning again uh, in the Middle East is if it is accepted that the solution the international community is committed to, a two-state solution, can only be proceeded with if both sides accept the existence of the other state. Otherwise, it is extremely difficult to see how we can make progress. But one thing should be made very clear again. We totally respect the mandate that Hamas secured in the elections. We supported those democratic elections. We support them still. But if they want our help, both financially and politically, to make progress, it has to be on an understood basis that means giving up violence, negotiating peacefully and accepting the existence of Israel. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Phyllis Starkey. Yesterday in the House of Commons, the Foreign Secretary admitted that he knew that when the UK and US monitors were withdrawn from Jericho, the Israelis would immediately seek to take the prisoners by force, giving the impression across the Palestinian territories of collusion. Given that yesterday the Israeli government also reiterated its intention to unilaterally seize more Palestinian land by extending the wall, incorporating more illegal settlements into Israel and effectively annexing the Jericho Valley, what is the British government doing now to re-establish its shattered reputation as an honest broker between Israel and the Palestinian Authority? Um, uh, I'm afraid I have to uh, disagree with my honourable friend. Let me just explain the circumstances in which we came to do this monitoring function. We did it under what was called the Ramallah Agreement, entered into in 2002, whereby people who were charged with serious offences, including assassination of Israeli politicians, would be kept in this detention centre and we would monitor their detention. And the agreement on both sides, both with Israel and with the Palestinian Authority, is that the Palestinians would take charge of the detention, but it would be independently monitored by us. Now, that was the agreement brokered. We have kept to that agreement every inch of the way. We have done the independent monitoring. The breach has been because the proper detention procedures were not being observed on the Palestinian side. And I do stress to her, 
three months of saying to the Palestinian Authority, including last week directly to the President of the Palestinian Authority, look, this is a serious situation, you have to act, I think is evidence of our good faith, not our bad faith. And I think the, I would repeat to her, because I think it's important this message is, is sent out from this country, we stand ready to take this process forward and help in any way we can, but it has to be on the basis that agreements entered into are adhered to by everybody. Yeah. Campbell. Yeah. The, Prime, the Prime Minister will remember that six years ago, the then Secretary of State for Work and Pensions, now the Transport Secretary, told the House that his department should give accurate and complete information about pensions. He went on to say... <laughs> If the, if the Chancellor of the Exchequer ever gets round to accepting Adair Turner's proposals, then it will be some time before I get a pension. He also said that if someone lost out because of inaccurate information, then the government should offer redress as a matter of principle. What principle? Well, uh, firstly, it is um, partly in recognition of that that we established both the Pension Protection Fund and the Financial Assistance Scheme. So there will be, for the first time, help for people um, whose pension schemes have been wound up. And let me say to the Right Honourable Gentleman, I accept and understand entirely the sense of loss and anger and anxiety um, in respect of those that have lost their pensions, which they have paid for for many, many years. But we are being asked to give, on behalf of the taxpayer, a £15 billion commitment. We simply cannot do that in circumstances where the reason for the loss is the collapse of those pension schemes themselves. What is the point of an independent ombudsman and a report which makes recommendations when the government will not accept those conclusions? Doesn't the Prime Minister understand that if the government fails to offer compensation, this will only operate as yet a further diminution in public confidence in pensions? Except that, as I, I say to him, of course we, we, we must and do treat very seriously um, the findings that the Ombudsman has made, but we are being asked, as a consequence of that, to give, on behalf of the general taxpayers, £15 billion worth of commitment. We simply cannot do that. Now, there is a review of the financial assistance scheme um, that may be able to help some people. We are Reviewing that, as we have said, we will expedite that and do that as quickly as we possibly can, but it has to be understood that in the end, if we were to stand liable for the whole of that loss, it would set a precedent of extraordinary financial proportions for this government and any other. Chris Mullin. As regards the uh, education bill, how does my uh, right honourable friend respond to those who argue uh, that a proliferation of foundation schools directly contradicts the advice in last year's white paper, Every Child Matters, which calls for schools and other agencies to work more closely together uh, in order to secure a better education for all our children. It is precisely because we understand the concerns over selection and the possibility of new selection that we have strengthened the admissions procedures so that schools have to act in accordance with the code rather than have regard to it, 
so that there is the ability of the local authority to appeal in respect of an admissions policy where it's being breached, and so that the admissions forum is also being strengthened. Now, all of these things are going to mean that, yes, schools will have the freedom and independence we want them to have, but within a system of fair funding and fair admissions. And I say to my honourable friend that if people want that strengthened admissions code and procedure, the only way to get it is to vote for the bill. James Pace. Mr Deputy Speaker, the Rural Payments Agency had a target of paying 96% of farmers by the end of March. That's already 18 months since their last payment. Last week, the noble Lord Bark said it should be over 50%. Has the Prime Minister got any understanding of the anger and the financial distress of tens of thousands of farmers who are fending off their creditors because of the government's incompetence? Yes, I do understand the concern, but that is why the Rural Payments Agency is working extremely hard to make up the time and to make sure that farmers receive their payments. But I understand entirely their concern. We are working on it as hard as we can. Charlotte Atkins. Everyone in Staffordshire has spoken with one voice to keep Staffordshire Ambulance independent so it can deliver the fastest response times, save most lives at the cheapest cost, and keep the best-trained community first responders. Further to his answer to me on October the 12th, can the Prime Minister assure me that Staffordshire Ambulance Service will be able to maintain its uniquely successful management system rather than adopt the less successful practices of the other West Midlands ambulance services? I understand entirely the case that my friend is, is making and indeed other colleagues from Staffordshire. Uh, as I understand it, there is a 40-week consultation led by the Strategic Health Authorities uh, that will end on the 22nd of March, and I can assure her that the outcome of the consultation exercise is not a foregone conclusion. No decision has been made or will be until the conclusion of the consultation, and I can also assure you that all responses, including hers, will be very carefully considered indeed. David Cameron. Thank you, Mr Deputy Speaker. Isn't the real answer to the Honourable Member for Sunderland South that the evidence shows that schools with greater freedoms over budgets, pay, staff, buildings, curriculum and admissions achieve better results? Does the Prime Minister agree with me that everyone who wants to see greater parental choice, less interference by LEAs and independent schools within the state sector should vote for the bill tonight? Of course I agree, and of course I agree that it's important that schools have the freedoms to manage their own budgets and staff and buildings and so on. Of course, it is part of our contention, certainly on this side, that we do not agree that selection between schools is the answer. And if the right honourable gentleman is so keen on supporting the education legislation tonight, why has he only got a two-line whip for his members? Yeah? And why, why, why is he going, why is he trying to delay the vote by voting against the programme motion? Does the right honourable gentleman not recall? Oh yes. On the 14th of December, he asked me to speed up the education bill. On the 25th of January, he said to me, why don't you get on with it? 
in February he said, would I give him an undertaking? There would be no delay. Now he's going to vote this evening precisely to delay the bill by voting against the programme motion. David Cameron. I tell you what, you worry about whipping your side and I'll worry about whipping mine. I will support the government's education reforms, but I don't support the undermining of Parliament. Trust schools give businesses, voluntary groups, faith organisations and others the the chance to start new schools and to operate existing ones. The Prime Minister in the past has said he'd like all schools to become trust schools. Is that still his ambition? I want schools to become trust schools. That's why we're introducing the bill. Yes, but let me just, and it's for the schools to decide, which is what the bill says. But let me just come back to the right honourable gentleman and his explanation of why he's voting against the programme motion tonight. Yes, because if, what is more punch and duty than that? If he wants this bill to go through, if he says I shouldn't delay it, why has he... Why has he not got his members voting unanimously tonight, and why is he voting against the programme motion? And let me, well, let me tell him why. Because in this bill, I'll tell him why he's got a two-line vote. In this bill, there is, there is stronger protection against selection. There is a prohibition on interviews for admissions. There is a stronger admissions forum. There are tougher powers for LAs to intervene in poor and failing schools. And there is power for local authorities to give free school meals to all their pupils. Those are all good reasons why no wonder he's hesitating, but we should not. David Cameron. I think the Prime Minister is going to need to spend a bit more time talking to his own colleagues rather than shouting at me. He's being ridiculous. He knows we don't support routine programme motions. We believe... We we believe in parliamentary scrutiny. I I know those are a couple of words the Prime Minister can't even probably spell, but we happen to think it's important. Isn't the real issue today this? Why is a Prime Minister with a majority of 70 struggling to explain to his own MPs why we need to reform our schools? First of all, let me just deal with his extraordinary contention that somehow the reason he is voting against the programme motion is because it's routine. Oh, yeah. I have here a list of 22 bills this parliamentary session in which he has not opposed the programme motion. Why is he opposing it? He's opposing it for the same reason he's got the two-line vote, and that is because he can't, because there are reasons why people should support this bill to do with equity and fair admissions, and those are reasons that he can't get his side to accept. Deputy Speaker, Mr Deputy Speaker, the Prime Minister is aware that I've been campaigning for some time on behalf of my constituents and others who have lost their pension. Does he agree with me that those affected are not looking for a handout but their own money back which they saved on government advice? Will the Prime Minister give full consideration to the Ombudsman report which seems to be uh, being dismissed out of hand at the moment? And while we have discussions with the trade unions, community and amicus, 
on their European uh, action with a view to finding a solution to this? Well, again, I entirely understand. Of course, if people have lost their pension entitlement that they built up over many, many years, they will be extremely worried and extremely angry about that. The question, however, is the degree to which the government has to stand guarantor. Now, it's precisely because of the concerns that were raised that we introduced the Pension Protection Fund and have the financial assistance scheme. But I say to my old friend, the difficulty is, if we end up saying, as the Ombudsman would like us to do, that we stand surety for all that money, it is a £15 billion bill. And I honestly cannot commit the government or any government to that. Lee Scott. What encouragement will Prime Minister give the Ilford North and Redbridge-based Dragsline Chabad on its 15 years of excellent work in tackling the problems of drug and alcohol abuse? Also, and congratulating them on their new pilot project involving both the Jewish and Muslim communities, showing how this can benefit the entire community of London, will the Prime Minister please encourage them? Um, I'm very happy to offer that encouragement and to congratulate them for their excellent work over 15 years and long may it continue. Helen Jones. As today may be a, a somewhat challenging day for the Prime Minister, um, can I cheer him up by suggesting a policy which would be very popular? If he rejects... rejects the moves by the big supermarkets to deregulate Sunday trading. He would be supporting families, protecting small businesses, pleasing the churches, and would get the enthusiastic support of this side of the House. Can he think of any reasons for not doing it? Well, as my honourable friend probably knows, um, the DTI are currently conducting a review of the Sunday trading rules. And it's right to look at these issues because a great deal has changed in the 12 years since these restrictions have been in place. But I understand my right honourable friend, the Trade Secretary, is meeting with the Union of Shop Distributive and Allied Workers to listen to their concerns. And if she wishes to make today less challenging for me, the remedy is in her own hands. <laughs> I have no current plans uh, to do so. Uh, but I would like to pay tribute to the work that the Little Havens Children's Hospice in Castle Point does. Bob Spink. I'm grateful for that, Mr Deputy Speaker. The whole House will want to uh, join with the Prime Minister in paying tribute to everyone who works in the hospice movement and who supports that movement. And we also acknowledge the extra cash that's been put into the National Health Service. But what has happened to that cash? Children's hospices, on average, get only 5% of their funding from the NHS. Little Havens gets less than 2 Percent. Will the Prime Minister meet with a delegation from the Children's Hospice Movement to discuss the funding of our terminally ill children? And is he aware of the high level of public concern about this issue, as demonstrated by the Sun, Summerfield and... Order. I think the Honourable Gentleman has put his point across. I'm certainly, again, both aware and want to underline my congratulations to the hospice movement and all the work that they do. And he is right in saying there's been a substantial additional investment into the National Health Service and, of course, from the, the Lottery Fund as well. And I know that Little Havens benefited from that. 
we are looking to see what more we can do for palliative care in all sorts of different ways. And of course, I'm always happy to meet representatives of the movement. Uh, is the uh, Prime Minister aware that it's now more than 10 years since Private Cheryl James died at Deep Cut Army Barracks, but her parents, Des and Doreen, still don't know how or why? Last Friday, the Surrey coroner, Michael Burgess, concluding his inquest into James Collinson, who also died at Deep Cut, said, the Ministry of Defence should take whatever steps are necessary to restore public confidence in the recruitment and training of young soldiers, whether at Deep Cut or elsewhere, and that they have nothing to fear from an inquiry held in public where the various issues can be explored in greater depth. I simply ask the Prime Minister to agree to meet the parents of the four deceased uh, deep cut uh, recruits once Nicholas Blake has completed his inquiry to hear their views on the matter. I hope the Honourable Gentleman will understand that, that the report by Nicholas Blake QC um, has not yet um, been finalised and I understand it will be finalised at the end of this month um, and I don't think I can really comment further until we've received his findings. Shona McIsaac. Thank you very much, Mr. Deputy Speaker. I want to ask the Prime Minister a question about an issue which is causing great concern uh, for the residents of Grimsby and Cleethorpes, and that is the only direct bus link from, the, from Grimsby and Cleethorpes to Hull is about to be withdrawn because the Humber Bridge Board refused to offer toll concessions for public transport. Isn't this totally out of kilter with government policy on promoting public transport, particularly when that is the only way many residents can get... Order! Order! Prime Minister's got the point. Um, not entirely sure, actually, but... Um, <laughs> Anyway, uh, the Humber Bridge Board uh, has applied to the Secretary of State to increase tolls in line with inflation. The application was considered a public inquiry on the 7th of February. My right honourable friend, the Transport Secretary, will consider the inquiry inspector's report and announce his decision in due course. And I entirely understand the concerns my honourable friend raises. It's got to be looked at, obviously, though, in the context of the overall funding and the tolls for the bridge. Quentin Davis. Does the Prime Minister share my sense of revulsion that this is the only country in the world calling itself a democracy where it appears that you can buy your way into the legislature by simply giving a lot of money to one of the three major parties? Isn't it time, isn't it time that we brought this squalid system and all suspicion of it definitively to an end? Yeah. Well, I would simply point out that we were the party and the government that introduced transparency into party funding. It is important, it is a, it is important of course, no doubt this will be debated in the context of House of Lords reform. Jeremy Corbyn. The nine, Mr Deputy Speaker. I regularly have discussions on a wide range of issues, including on the deployment of US and British troops in Iraq with President Bush. Jeremy Corbyn. The Minister recognised that this weekend represents the third anniversary of the invasion of Iraq by British and American troops, that 2,000 American soldiers have sadly lost their lives, over 100 British and tens of thousands of Iraqis have died. Does he not think it is time to set a date 
for the withdrawal of British and American troops from Iraq to end the occupation and end the growing scandal of the huge profits being made by British and American countries from, uh, companies from reconstruction and that the continued presence represents more of a problem than a solution? Well, it is correct that American and British soldiers have died, civilians have died in Iraq, and they have died in the course of an attempt by those engaged in terrorism and acts of violence to stop the country getting its democracy. Now, my honourable friend referred to it as an occupation. We have been there for two and a half years under a UN mandate and with the full consent of the first ever democratically elected Iraqi government. So, we have a situation where the Iraqi people, 12 million of them voted, in their election, that a higher turnout, I may say, than either here or the US or most European countries in their election. The 12 million voted for democracy. They want democracy. At the moment, there are discussions going on between all the parties, Sunni, Shia, Kurds, to try and form a government of national unity. And these people, with their acts of terrorism, are trying to stop them. What do we do? Do we walk away and let those who want the bomb and terrorist acts to determine the future of, the, of Iraq win? Or do we stand up for the 12 million people who voted for democracy, stand alongside with them, and say these are values we share, we support, and we're prepared to fight for? To return to the government not implementing recommendations from the Ombudsman, uh, does the Prime Minister recall telling the Labour Party conference in 1997, and I quote, I don't want to live in a country where the only way pensioners can get long-term care is by selling their home? Scandalously, nine years later in England, that's still the case. So does the Prime Minister intend to retire soon to Scotland, where it isn't? First of all, let me just point out to the Honourable Gentleman that through the pension credit, the support for pensioners, this government is spending round about £10 billion extra a year for today's pensioners. Secondly, we are, the government that has introduced the Pension Protection Fund and the Financial Assistance Scheme. We are doing all we can to help both current pensioners and future pensioners. But I come back, and I know because it's a difficult decision, the Liberal Democrats won't want to face up to it. The, the choice is this. We either say that we will pay out, on behalf of the general taxpayer, £15 billion, or we have to look for another way of dealing with this issue. And I don't think we can afford to do that. Sean Cyber. College High in Erdington last year federated and doubled its GCSE rate, doubled it to 24%. Now I'm told that that can cause chaos in all the other local schools, throwing their admissions and their staff recruitment all over the place. So should we just leave it at that? Is a quarter of working class kids getting a half decent basic education? Is that good enough under a Labour government? Should we just leave it where it is? No, we shouldn't. Which is exactly why my honourable friend is right to say that there has been tremendous progress in these last eight or nine years. And never forget that funding per pupil, when we came to office in 1997, was being cut under the previous Tory government. Since then, we have increased tenfold the investment in our schools. We have seen increases in results at 11, at 16, at 18. But he is right. It isn't good enough whilst any child doesn't get the education they need. And it's for that reason that alongside the investment comes the change and reform. Specialist schools and city academies are already making a difference. This bill gives us the chance 
to ensure that every child, whatever their circumstances or background, gets the chance to succeed. That's why it's a Labour bill and should be supported by Labour MPs. Order.